Hello and welcome to the first ever The Maiden Voyage of Rugby Offloads with Pat Clifton. I'm your host, Pat Clifton. Um, guys, thank you for following me into this new podcast, at least for a couple of seconds. Hopefully you'll stick around and come back for more and more. This is my new talk podcast. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk some of the rugby topics and news of the day, break down some of those things, and I'm going to give you a conversation with somebody I talked about, somebody I respect in the rugby community, about the goings-on of the day. So this is uh, a rugby talk show focusing on American rugby. I'm your host, Pat Clifton, longtime rugby writer, talker, doer. Um, currently, I'm the sevens commissioner for National Collegiate Rugby, and I run the Collegiate Rugby Championship, the largest college rugby tournament in the history of North America, coming up a couple of weeks here in uh, Memorial Day weekend down in New Orleans. I also work for PR Sevens. Premier Rugby Sevens, the first ever professional sevens league in the uh, entire world here in the United States. I work for them on the content side. And then I am the executive director for Missouri Youth Rugby. So I uh, run the state of uh, Missouri when it comes to high school and youth and middle school rugby. Pretty new to that job. And then I'm the director of rugby for the Kansas City Rugby Football Club. You know anybody wanting to play rugby in Kansas City? Send them to KCRFC. So those are the hats that I currently wear. I've been in the rugby space for going on now 15 years. For about 13 of those years, it's been professional. And for about 10 of those 13, private, nothing but rugby. My full-time job on the professional side, I was one of the few people who was lucky to really be a full-time professional person in rugby. Um, Back in 2009 is when I started there, 2010. um, There weren't a lot of people doing that. Now there's a lot more. The game has grown. Um, So I've been in this space a long time as a writer, as a coach, as an administrator. I mostly administrate and coach now. Um, So this is the podcast. I'm Pat Clifton. Let's dive right into it. Um, what are we trying to accomplish here? I want to talk real rugby. I want to have real rugby conversations, not glossy ones, not some of the bullshit. I want to have real rugby conversations. So if you've read me, you've heard anything that I used to do, I've matured a little bit, I've changed, but I'm going to come and bring it to you the same way that I have. I call it the way that I see it. I'm going to talk to people who do the same. I want to have real rugby conversations on this show. Um, What's on my dashboard? I want to talk to you every week and give you an update of what's on my dashboard. I just told you kind of the different hats that I wear in rugby, the different glasses that I wear. Every week there's something that's on my dashboard that's either you know making me happy or pissing me off or that I think we need to work on or something that we I have an idea or somebody tells me something that I think is fantastic and I want to share it. So I'm going to kind of bring to you what's highlighting from me out of my rugby dashboard what I'm looking at every week in the rugby space here in America. I'm going to have, as I kind of mentioned, I'm going to have some interesting guests on. Uh, I'm going to start this show, the first show, with Mark Bullock, the director of rugby of the American Raptors. We'll have him later in the show. Of course, the American Raptors, formerly the Glendale Raptors, um, multiple national championships they started um and you know the the aughts and then won multiple club national championships one of the founding members of the major league rugby um exited the league after 2018 now some exciting new plans we'll talk about that later in the show mark bullock the director of rugby is going to join us um why am I doing this show? I have conversations through these different roles every week. A lot of them are worth sharing. I want to do that. I want to share those and give those conversations a light of day. I'm best at what I do when I'm having a lot of conversations. And the older I get and the fuller my plate gets, uh, the more I realize if you don't schedule it, it is a lot less likely to happen. So now with this podcast, hopefully will keep me a little bit more accountable to wanting to have some of these conversations that keep me on my toes and keep me better and, and good at what I do. Um, and then, you know, just to be a little bit honest, uh, I want to kind of uh, command the space I occupy. I, as a writer, I became an authority, a bit of an authoritative voice in this space. And, uh, 
you know, I've had kind of a winding relationship with uh, personally with the sport myself, and I'm back in a good place with it, a really good place, um, enjoying it a lot. And uh, I want to see if I can't uh, command some of that space that I used to occupy or, or kind of still do and and uh, and become that authoritative voice again. So we're going to talk real rugby with people that I respect and uh, have some fun on the show. So let's dive right into it. Uh, we'll start with our headlines. Headlines of the week. There's nothing bigger than the Rugby World Cup. It's coming to America 2031, 2033. Uh, this should be no Surprise to you if you've been in the game for any length of time in the United States. This is something where the wheels have been churning now through multiple heads of state, both at the national governing body, multiple heads of state at World Rugby. Um, this is coming. It's been coming. World Rugby wanted to bring it here. The big bet now is from USA Rugby, from World Rugby, and from some people behind the scenes at Major League Rugby, some of the owners there. This is the bet. All the chips are in. We're going all in. We're going to host the World Cup, the men in 2031, the women in 2033. Let me start by saying, while I have nuanced, mixed emotions, the overwhelming one is excitement and, like, joy. I'm a rugby person just like anybody else, and uh, I love the World Cup. I'm not that big into international tests anymore. I'll let that negativity leak out later. We could talk about that. But the World Cup is the biggest party, obviously, in our sport every year, every four years. It's touted as the third largest sporting event in the world behind the Summer Olympics, behind the Soccer World Cup. You've been saturated with Rugby World Cup talking about what the implications of this could be to wake the sleeping giant, to break the ceiling that we haven't been able to break through for American rugby. I don't have a well-thought-out plan to talk to you. I'm just going to give you my reaction kind of in real time about the World Cup. I am excited that it's coming. I think there is an opportunity for the ceiling of this World Cup is for it to be what the 94 World Cup is was for soccer. It is that high ceiling to where 20 years from now, we could have sold-out rugby games and sold-out specific rugby stadiums where professional rugby is really taking off in this country and starting to climb and becoming a real commercial thing that's invading our culture and invading our media and that children are getting engaged in. And I think that that's a real opportunity. And I think that if that happens, that we get young athletic kids involved in rugby and introduced to rugby at a young age and there are systems for them to, you know, uh, different bars on the jungle gym to keep reaching for and grabbing onto that the implications of that could be massive for the national team, for people like me and you that are in the space today. The implications and the ceiling is, it's insane. I think that we could 100% hit it out of the park. We could sell out NFL stadiums. It could be and should be the most attended World Cup in the history of the Rugby World Cup. It could be a massive, earth-shattering event. Could be. And we got 10 years to get it right. I think there's a lot of reason to believe that's going to happen. The other side of the coin, I think we have a high ceiling and a very low floor with this event. We're coming off the Rugby World Cup in 2018 where we lost $4 million. It was the most attended rugby event ever in the United States, the most viewed rugby event ever in the United States. A lot of people made money on that event, but USA Rugby lost $4 million. And that event was one of the linchpin reasons why they went into bankruptcy. So... Let's be clear that the ceiling's high. It's also the floor is really low. And a ton of money is going to come flowing in this. They're estimating, they said, between 500 and $600 million is what they think they need in order to pull this off right. A lot of that money is going to get dropped off in grassroots organizations, hopefully, throughout the country. There's going to be a lot of talk about legacy, trying to spend money here so that this isn't just some big party and then World Rugby goes home and everybody that was here goes home and they remember the great party. But the only evidence that it was here five, ten years down the line is Instagram. Uh, That's the worry, is that 
what happened with the Sevens World Cup will happen with the Fifteens World Cup. It will be considered a massive uh, success for everyone involved, except for us in the United States and except for USA Rugby, who ended up holding the bag at the end of that. So that's the liability side. And look, I'm all in. The chips are in. I don't have a choice. You don't have a choice if you're watching this. The decision's been made for you. We're going for it. When your buddy decides to tap and go when you're in your own 22 or when you have a shot at goal that you should hit and you're in the attacking five and that with a really high percentage, you look at the scorecard, uh, what should I do in this scenario? We should definitely kick and your buddy quick taps and goes. The only decision is to back them, go all out, and back the bad decision. And I'm not saying it's a bad decision. It may be a really good decision. Really, really good decision. I think there's a, a pretty good chance, at least a coin flip chance, that this is going to be an earth-shattering wake-the-giant moment that everyone's been talking about and saturating you with. Um, but whether I think that or not, it's happening. So we have no choice if you're in the game to do nothing but throw full-throated effort behind it and keep doing what you've been doing. Keep building the game, and let's see if we can't ramp it up a bit and, and recruit a few more people to it. The Rugby World Cup, we're going to talk a lot about it in the coming shows. I've got some guests coming on specifically to talk about it and chop up what it means. How can we do it? Can we get it right? Um, there's going to be a lot of fodder off the Rugby World Cup Apple to chew on in coming episodes, and we're going to do a lot of it. And I, I, I'm working on some exciting guests. Um, but my first reaction is, man, this is exciting. Uh, it's not news because it's been coming for some time. If you've been paying attention, it's been obvious. It's been coming. It's been a, it's been a done deal. Um, I'm excited. I'm worried. But, you know, we're throwing the party. We're going all in. You know, let, let's see what the hell happens. Uh, I've mentioned the worry. If you've been watching Apple TV and we crash like I have, what we basically are, right? World Rugby is SoftBank. USA Rugby is WeWork, and giving them more money, that's what we're doing. And will it work this time? Can we get it over the threshold? I'm excited about it. Let's let's go. Let's, let's cheer it on. Um, some of the things that jumped out to me, uh, listed in some of the coverage that I read, I don't remember exactly the article, uh, but it suggested that uh, Ryan Patterson, um, and this is awful, I can't remember his name, another one of the, this is a minority owner from San Diego that lives up in the Bay Area, um, and uh, Adam Gilchrist uh, came together on this and were kind of behind the scenes spending money uh, on the bid, and that's three major league rugby owners spending money on the bid. If that tells me anything, uh, it tells me that, Major League Rugby is all in on this. They need it. Um, I think there's no question about it. Major League Rugby is in this position. How does this affect Major League Rugby? Let's talk about it real quick. Major League Rugby's ask right now, if you want to buy in and get a franchise, is $10 bucks. The $10 million just for the franchise fee. That's not your operating cost. That's not your runway. That's not salary cap. That's just for the right to lose money. You owe Major League Rugby $10 bucks. It's a big price tag. I think the people that have been in it from the ground up have built a lot of equity. At the end of the day, it's worth what someone will pay for it. And they have not gotten someone to buy in at that $10 million asking price yet. I think they're a lot more likely to get someone to buy in at that $10 million asking price now that the World Cup's coming in 2031. Uh, I think that this announcement is massive for them. It adds steroids to an opportunity for them. But Major League Rugby needs to close a deal at that $10 million valuation. Like, they really need to do that. And this gives them the opportunity to do that. But like you, like I've mentioned, like me, they've known this is coming, and now the clock has started to get that across the line. Any of the teams or clubs that were already at the negotiating table, this just gave leverage back to Major League Rugby a little bit, and they've been telling you it's coming, and you've known it's coming. So that leverage is probably already there. Anybody who's brought to the table by this, which there have to be, 
plenty of deep pockets brought to the table percolating now. And maybe it hasn't, those phone calls haven't happened yet, but they're going to happen. This is massive for Major League Rugby. So already it's massive for Major League Rugby. The implications it's going to have in the college game, like without question, World Rugby is going to earmark money, give it to somebody, and say this needs to go to develop college rugby because we see the college sporting market in America is vastly important. They have given money before, like a quarter of a million dollars in a grant to USA Rugby that was supposed to be earmarked earmarked for the top level of the college 15s game before. They've done it before. They'll do it again. This is SoftBank giving money to Andrew Newman and, and we crash. Where will that money go this time? Where will it be? Will it be stewarded properly? Will we get an ROI on that investment? So many people are about to touch. Hopefully, lots of people are about to touch money. Um, and let's see what comes back from that. So there's a lot of exciting things attached to it. Major League Rugby, that's one of the things I saw. The fact that you had Gilcrest, Adam Gilcrest, anybody making fun of the Gilgronies or the Giltinis, me included, uh, we need we owe a uh, a little you know tongue in cheek apology to Adam Gilchrist in helping uh, him deliver and spending the money to deliver this to us. Same to Ryan Patterson in San Diego and uh, the aforementioned unmentioned uh, partner of his uh, that was also reported. So uh, big kudos to them. And and I'll just say this: kudos to Ross Young. One other observation from this: I listened to the podcast uh, Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. Ross Young. Uh, embattled CEO. I think, I don't know if it was on this podcast that he was talking about it, but it's been a rough 2018, 2019, the pre bankruptcy, the, you know, is someone going to go to jail and do a perp walk for the disappearance of membership funds? There were a lot of very difficult years where people right underneath Ross had to have their heads rolled. And, uh, there's no doubt that it was very difficult for, and, and Ross sat there and he withstood it. And it, um, a lot of respect from a guy, from me to a guy like Ross and to Ross Young for, for doing that, sitting in the pocket and taking the hits one after the other after the other. Uh, he's earned feeling good, if you're being honest, right? Regardless of whether you feel that he should still be in charge, he has earned this moment, and uh, he's got a lot of World Cup general management experience. experience. So the, the chips are all in; they're in the middle of the table. You know. He's World Rugby's guy. I, I like his chances, and I, I feel good about it. And let me just say this. As somebody who's been through the fire and uh, made some mistakes and been humiliated, uh, been humbled, I think the, the probably the prefix uh, and root word and both of those go together, I would imagine. I'm no Latin major. But uh, if there's a lot of humility that comes with the humiliation um, that he probably endured, um, I think that it's – I'm actually pretty happy with Ross Young at the helm. You know, it's early days, but there's a lot of optimism for me that, you know, I've made mistakes and had my head roll for those mistakes, and uh, I'm better off having for having my head roll, but I no longer got to do those tasks, and those tasks may have been better off, those roles may have been better off with me gone, but they might have been better off with somebody who's been humiliated or humbled um, and uh, had some time to get back on their feet in that role. So I'm excited to see what Ross Young does. This is sincere. Ross, if this makes your ears rise, I mean that entirely. I'm sincerely excited to see what you do. And um, this is your, mo- your moment to shine, so enjoy it, and congratulations. And I'm, I'm looking forward eagerly, and I'm rooting you on. Um, that's the Rugby Hero World Cup. Uh, conversation for day. Like I said, we'll bring a lot of it to you. The next big headline for me is the Rugby Network and USA Youth and High School. It was I saw it flash across my screen that USA Youth and High School would be the official streaming partner, um, or their official streaming partner would be the Rugby Network. The Rugby Network, obviously owned by Major League Rugby, I think also 
uh, partially owned, I don't know this for a fact, by Sky Sports. I think they have a stake in it. Um, but they're another group that has a massive opportunity now. As money floods into the United States, a lot of it's going to go towards media and production and marketing, and it should because that's part of the player experience. Rugby, in order to grow, needs to enhance the player experience and then get that in front of people and sell that experience to people. And without question, especially in today's day and age, social media, photography, video, streaming, and the social media content that can be butchered down and distilled from that and then refed out to the world, that is your player experience. That is it. doesn't necessarily matter. Like If you have a great practice and a great game and no one was there to see it or enjoy it or share it, how many new people are finding out that you have that experience? How can they get to you? How can you recruit them to that experience? So the player experience is everything in rugby, and this is a huge part. And I think the rugby network and making this deal with USA Youth in High School, the reason I'm so excited about it, the reason I'm talking about it wasn't because of a press release, because I saw it in action this weekend, with the Texas State High School Championships being streamed live on the rugby network. If rugby's going to grow, this is what we have to do. Memorable experiences that people can share on social media so that we can draw other people into those great experiences. And if we can, and production cost is always the big hurdle. It costs so much money to do something well and to put that image out there and to provide that experience. The barrier to entry is not low. And if we can get that production cost figured out and there's more money coming in um, and we have a good platform that can give an ROI to the people who do put that money in, I think the Rugby Network is one of the best things to happen to American rugby since Major League Rugby because they're the ones that precipitated it. And uh, seeing the Texas High School State Championships on the Rugby Network to me was like a mind-blowing, awesome moment. Um, and I think this is a huge opportunity for American rugby, huge opportunity for USA Youth and High School. I am a executive director for an SRO, a state rugby organization within uh, USA Youth and High School. I know nothing about what the ins and outs of this agreement are uh, i'm sure that they'll come downhill and i'll find them out and i'm sure that i will if i want to get my state championship which we just had a, you know last weekend on the rugby network it's going to be on me to do the legwork to do it but you know that path has been cleared i've been showed the example i'm gonna work my butt off to do that because what a great player experience that i can give to my clubs and my coaches so that they can arm them with that and they can go out and use it to hunt more kids more rugby players that become doers and eventually viewers to watch the World Cup and buy a beer at the World Cup in 2031. Because the kids that we're introducing to middle school rugby now and in high school rugby now will be the ones paying exorbitant amounts of money for beer and parking and souvenirs at all of the Rugby World Cup coming up. So we've got to make those fans, and then we have to start by making them players and getting them engaged. So I think a huge deal for USA Youth in High School and the Rugby Network, so a shout-out to them. And then the last bit, um, a little more of a somber note uh, on a headline is the loss of Jay Wilkerson. Um, so Jay Wilkerson, a, a former Eagle, um, 17 caps for the Eagles from 1991 to 1998, um, played in the 1991 Rugby World Cup, um, died at the age of 56 uh, earlier this last week. Um, Belmont Shore legend, uh, he fell to CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the concussion disease, and um, it's really sobering to see it. I didn't know Jay. We were social media friends. I'd never met him personally. And I think that in the rugby space, it's a small world. And um, unfortunately, you know, Jay had CTE and he suffered from it and he lost his life way too early because of it. And Jay played a lot of high-level football. Jay won a, a junior college national championship um, and then went from there to Fresno State where he picked up rugby the semester he arrived on campus um, and, and before he started playing for the football team. Played a couple of years of rugby and football at Fresno State and then you know had a, a cup of coffee with uh, the 
the uh, L.A. Um, I think it was the Chargers at the time, one of the uh, the, the L.A. Uh, NFL uh, franchises, and and then played rugby. Uh, for the next 10 years and was a phenomenal eagle, just a freak of an athlete. His story is not unlike so many others and uh, lost too soon. Uh, and, and it's just uh, an, an unwelcome, somber reminder in rugby, I think, that we need to be thinking about uh, immediately when I saw the news of him and, and his loss. And, and unfortunately, late in his life, some of the CTE drama, as a lot of the drama in our lives, do bled out onto social media. And so it was like a blunt force slap across my face to wake me up to say, this is a real thing in our sport, and we have to take care of our athletes, and we have to take care of each other, and we have to take care of ourselves as it relates to CTE. So rest in peace, Jay Wilkerson. Uh, I mean that. I hope you find your peace. Um, and everyone that knew him, Belmont Shore, USA Rugby Eagles family across the board, um, my thoughts and prayers are with you this week. Um, we lost a good one, and let's be mindful going forward. You know, If you don't know the Steve Murrah story, I think that this would be a, maybe a good opportunity to get to know it. Steve was a legendary coach, University of Northern Iowa and the Midwest Thunderbirds program program on the women's side of the game and we lost him a few years back to to cte and um his story is out there now his family was able to tell it a little bit i encourage you to check that out and um go down that road i think we all know people in the game who we worry about i know i do and uh, let's take care of each other so Rest in peace, Jay Wilkerson. Those are the headlines. I want to. Uh, I think maybe I have a little bit of a tendency for being known as a negative guy. Um, so I'm going to end every show and my monologue statement in every show with uh, one good thing of the week and one good person of the week. So force me to talk about something good. Like I said, if you don't schedule it, it doesn't happen. Um, one good thing of the week. Uh, this The good thing of the week. All right, so it's Major League Rugby season. I love this. The City Series. Alternate jerseys. I love it. It's a good revenue generator. I love a good alternate jersey. I love quirky jerseys. I love the Woogie jersey with the mascot that looks like Cookie Monster that the New England Free Jacks threw uh, together and threw out. But the Houston Space City jersey was gorgeous. So when they released this thing on Twitter, that immediately caught my eye. I was sucked in by the pictures of this unbelievable space jersey. I myself was floating in space with absolutely no gravity. It was just... It was, it was beautiful. And so much so that I ignored the fact that they took a picture with Paul Wall. Like Iceman Paul Wall, the grill master Paul Wall, the rapper, Houston famous hip-hop artist Paul Wall. So I was texting with JT Anya, president of the Sabercats. I've got the scoop on how the hell this happened. They were just going out into Houston to take some very Houston-y photos of their new City Series jerseys. The Space City, you know. Houston, we have a problem. NASA, home of NASA, Space City jerseys. And they went to a Paul Wall mural, because why wouldn't you? Paul Wall, Houston legend. Love it. And who else is hanging at the mural of Paul Wall but Paul Wall himself, hanging out at his own mural, says, hey, you guys are here in my mural. They're like, hey, this is your mural. Let's take pictures together. Sabercats take a picture with Paul Wall at the mural of Paul Wall. I don't know if this says more about Paul Wall, like the fact that he was, I mean, if I had a mural, I would probably hang out at it without question and take pictures with people. Um, but it's fantastic. That's what Paul wall does. And that was my good thing of the week. And I've got that grill song stuck in my head all week because of it. Um, Two good people this week. Two good people. I ran the Missouri Youth Rugby, my first one. This is my first season in Missouri Youth Rugby as an executive director running a youth organization. I've coached um, high school rugby for many years, um, been involved in high school rugby. I've been a commissioner. I founded the Gateway Collegiate Rugby Conference, commissioned that. I'm the commissioner of sevens for National Collegiate Rugby my second year. That None of that prepared me. Well, None of that fully prepared me for the role of executive director for Missouri Youth Rugby. The closest thing to that was a conversation with my friend Snacks, Sean Lindersmith, who held the same position for Minnesota Youth Rugby and was like, 
dear God, what have you gotten yourself into? Which is also what my good friend Tim Klumper said at Rugby Kansas. Nonetheless, the great ending to that season was the state championship game. We had all the boys' high school teams in the state that could make it. All but one team that were active this season showed up. We had a shield competition that was a round-robin for everybody else. We had a semifinal final that was just really competitive, really fun to watch, and we held it in conjunction with the Super Regionals, the USA Rugby Club playoffs, which I'm glad they're back now being run by the clubs um, and and not so much USA Rugby. And we held it in conjunction with that in the Mid-America GU. And so my two good people this week are Sean Cox, the president of the Mid-America GU, and Steve McKinstry of the St. Louis Royal Ramblers, also of the GU, who was out there all week. These two men, Sean was refereeing games. He was making sure that the vendors were taken care of, that the athletic trainers were taken care of, that I was taken care of schmoozing everybody is the parks and rec okay he was an absolute stud and hero steve mckinstry was out there pumping the fields with getting the rain off the fields the night before the grassroots heroes right like the people that are giving opportunities to the middle schoolers today that will end up buying the 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 beer and going to the games and make the world cup or playing in the world cup in 2031 and 2033 make those a success that will help us i mean those are the people that are doing it Steve McKinstry and Sean Cox, I'm certain, will have no VIP suite in the Rugby World Cup. But if it's successful, it will be because there will be tens of thousands of them across the country doing things like pumping the field right before the state championships of youth and and high school rugby um, because we're co-hosting this event together. So, like, them, Sean Cox, I I can't say enough of the grassroots rugby people. You get too tunneled in of your coach. If you're a coach and running your own thing and you don't pull out and you don't run things and look at sometimes things from a 30,000-foot view, it can be very easy to get sucked into complain, 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 and then you go work with some of these people and you see them bust their backs for very few thank yous and they wake up the next day and do it. And especially when you're fortunate enough to me, like I am, to draw some paychecks, and I have been, I've been... Paychecks are a lot more abundant now in rugby than they, they used to be when I was first started coming around, and I was very fortunate then, and I'm very fortunate now. And when people aren't drawing those paychecks and they're putting up with the bullshit that you get paid to put up with, man, it puts it in perspective. And so Steve McKinstry and Sean Cox, um, they're my two good people of the week. Now, without any further ado, Mark Bullock, the American Raptors. I set it up a little bit. Mark Bullock used to be a high school football coach, was a high school All-American uh, rugby coach, the first ever high school All-American rugby team, um, has been uh, uh, a national championship coach with the Glendale Raptors. They were building their club program in the early years, and then they helped get Major League Rugby going. Let's be very clear about it. Major League Rugby doesn't happen in the way that we know it without the Glendale Raptors. They become disenfranchised with the league in 2018. They leave the league at the end of the season and are no longer around. And now they are doing the American Raptors, which is basically a crossover factory trying to generate eagles. And that's what they've been doing. And it's been tough to kind of track exactly what they're doing. So I talked to Mark exactly about what they're doing, how they're doing it. And look, you'll hear about it, but I think that they're doing God's work. Major League Rugby, I love them. And what they're doing now is what they need to do and focusing on what they need to focus on. But one of the missed opportunities so far has been systematically trying to recruit, track, and develop crossover athletes at volume, at scale, into the sport of rugby. Because we all know that like the Jay Wilkerson's, that it's the skills translate and we can get you good at rugby fast enough to make an impact. And they are doing that. And they're taking that very seriously at, uh, at the American Raptors. And I want to talk to him. And I did talk to him about how it went. And also just a little bit of maybe breaking news. 
uh, we didn't get to in this interview because I didn't know about it, but they are actively recruiting other ownership groups within the United States for SAR, Super or South, whatever. It's it's a South American Major League Rugby. I'm not going to butcher what the acronym stands for, but it's South America's version of MLR is looking to expand into the United States, and American Raptors are their point man doing it. They're actively recruiting other franchises to potentially host American teams and franchises competing in Major League Rugby. The uh, ask-in is much, much lower than it is to Major League Rugby. You do not need $10 million for your franchise fee and $5 million for three years. You don't need $25 million in order to buy into this league, which is essentially what you need to do to buy into Major League Rugby now. So there's now a cheaper option to compete into SLAR, which is interesting in a whole lot of different fronts. Um, that's what they're doing. There's Slar's point man right now. We're going to talk about it, um, probably a little bit more going forward, but here without any further ado is Mark Bullock, director of rugby for the American Raptors. Thanks for tuning in. If you like it, if you've enjoyed this show, please share it. Tell people about rugby offloads. Uh, I'm at Pat Clifton or the Pat Clifton on Twitter or social media, uh, or Instagram, follow rugby offloads, like share, subscribe, please tell your friends. And we're looking for sponsors. We're going to keep trying to do this thing. Keep trying to do this thing, right? Um, try to maybe build up some video elements. Who knows what we're going to do? We're going to do as best we can, as much as we can. Um, rugby offloads. If you like it, share it, tell your friends about it. Um, and come back next week. Here's Mark Bullock. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Clifton. Mr. Bullock, how are you? We're doing good. How about yourself? I'm pretty great. I appreciate your flexibility. I just wanted to check in with you and talk a little American Raptors. It's uh, been a while since we've talked, but we've talked a lot through the years, I think, from you know when Glendale was trying to win Division One Club National Championships to MLR and now to mm-hmm. this rendition of the American Raptors. You guys have had quite a bit of success recently. You know, the trip to Uruguay, I think, turned a lot of heads. And then there was a whole lot of signings of guys that you trained up and identified and brought into rugby, into Major League Rugby um, and around the rugby space, Premier Rugby Sevens and other places. And uh, I wanted to talk about that and then see, you know, what does the American Raptors look like now? Because I think it's a little bit different, maybe, um, and just see what the next steps are and, and what the vision is. So that trip to Uruguay, I mean, how did that come about? And it was a close loss and then a win, right? Actually, Uruguay was actually not in our radar. And what we had been doing is we were looking originally to um, potentially go to Ireland or um, Wales uh, and try to play uh, three matches there. And then, of course, you know, covid happened and as covid was running around the world it looked like that wasn't an option for us and then we had a contact from south africa say why don't you come here there's some opportunities um it'd be good for your players you know we're a rugby playing nation etc etc and so we we actually quite actively were pursuing uh going to south africa uh, and staying in some of the academies there and, and ideally being exposed to that um, environment, a South African rugby environment. Uh, and we thought that would be really valuable for players. But once again, uh, COVID and restrictions, and then they started to have the troubles in South Africa uh, with the riots and so forth, and, and that you know increased a lot of the expenses going on. And in the meantime... <laughs> We end up getting a contact from uh, Gus Pinchot from uh, South America, from Argentina, about you know opportunities in South America, and the fact that South America 
uh, rugby is, you know, really looking to increase the play of their national teams. And obviously they um, started SLAR and they, and SLAR was really based on the model that we attempted to put together for MLR, which was again, the development of American players, or in their case, their South American players for their national teams. In fact, I was just reading through some of our documents and we started MLR. And again, one of the, one of the key components that I read was developing American athletes. And any case, as, as we know, we decided to get out of MLR because they didn't fit our goal. Um, SLAR, the South American competition, has followed that goal. And so part of that conversation with them at that time was, you know, we are, they were inviting, they basically invited us to come down and said, you know, you're welcome to come down here. And we're like, wow, gee, we didn't really know if we wanted to do that because we put all our eggs in South Africa. But South Africa wasn't a viable alternative because of the uh, things that were going on there. So we refocused our attention to attempt to go to um, uh, ultimately Uruguay. And uh, they were the ones who invited us. And, and that was um, with uh, the head of the South or the Uruguayan Rugby Union, who happened to be the head of the South American Rugby Union. So they were very interested in us coming down. And so we basically refocused our attention to go down there. And our goal was uh, to have three games. And ultimately, we ended up with a, a scrimmage, which was actually good for us after we got down there. And then we played um, and then like an under-23 side, and, um, and, and we beat them very soundly. And, and part of that was just we were bigger and stronger than them. Um, you know, they were more knowledgeable rugby-wise, but, you know, we were just more, more physical and more athletic. Uh, and then in the final match, we played a team was meant to be their um, second uh, Uruguayan team. Their national team was overseas, and so this was made up of um, supposed up-and-comers who were on the lookout to, to make a name for themselves. And we played that game. That was our last game of the tour, and, um, you know, it was quite good. We played in their national stadium, and... Um, they jumped out on us uh, early and then, you know, we, you know, just hacked away at it and slowly came back and they beat us by three. And I think, you know, if, if we had maybe five more minutes, uh, I think we might've been on the other end of the ledger. Cause we were just, again, I think we were a little more, they were getting tired of the physicality that was, was occurring the game, but it was really a good lesson for us. What, what was the makeup of that team? I mean, I know there was a couple of, you know, like CC, with CC Mahoney on it, there may be a couple of, you know, rugby guys, but it was, what was the makeup of that versus the, the tried and true crossovers that you're trying to attract into the game? You know, what was the makeup of that team that was down there? Yeah, the, the, we had, uh, actually it's interesting is the, the guys who made the biggest impact for us were not necessarily the rugby guys. They were the non-rugby guys. Um, uh, Mahoney was with, you know, as part of that squad. Um, and the rest of the guys, for the most part, were not. We had, um, I'm trying to get out of my, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to do, actually. Well, I didn't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to get into my roster. Yeah. Um, just so I can 
pull it uh, up. Take a look at that. Sure. But you know, the makeup of the team was was primarily once again crossover athletes and guys who had played with us the previous season. So they had played the previous um, uh, spring, and then we had guys that were brand new to us that had played again. They started in um, see January, February, March. No, see when we start August. They started in August, and um, oh, sorry, and and actually played really well. So. Some of those guys, like names that are popping to my mind, are like Caleb Geiger, Casey McDermott, Vi. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of these guys. I think Caleb Geiger was recruited out of a bar, like a baseball player, and and Casey McDermott Vi was the big time football player from TCU. Um, what who went on to the Gilgronies, and and of course Geiger signed to New York, and those are just a couple of the dudes who who MLR saw some value in. What has been the process? Like I said at the beginning, you've been to a pro day and you've been to the NFL Combine recently. What is your recruiting process? How do you fill your coffers? How do you get these guys and attract them? And what's the value prop you're selling them when you're saying, hey, come play for us? We might take it to South Africa or we might go to Uruguay. Well, actually, um, you bring up a really good point. Like, how do we go about doing this? And and it, to be fair, our, our recruiting process is basically um, – we go, we basically go through as many university rosters and programs that we can. So we start by taking a look at a university roster. So let's say it's the University of Mississippi or University of Colorado. We look through the roster and we look for guys who are seniors. And, and of course, the last couple of years have been really hectic because of COVID and COVID opportunities for athletes to get another year of eligibility. So it's been, you know, a, a, I don't want to say crapshoot. It's just been an interesting process. And we're learning every, every day as we move along and move forward, we learn things that maybe we can do better um, and things that we can eliminate. So basically we go through the roster and we go, here are guys who are hit who fit our parameters. Now we then read what that athlete is. So, if we're looking at um, uh, a kid such uh, as Zach Hall, who's a center that plays for us and actually played as uh, well as, um, you know, any of our you know, centers, and he's brand new. He was a, he was a uh, middle linebacker for Central Missouri College and holds all their records in um, – for tackles, et cetera, et cetera. Was all I, league and all this. I, I played foot. I was a little rugby at the University of Central Missouri myself. Go Mules. That's where I picked up the game. Yeah. So, any case, he, he ended up, you know, being a, a top player for us and is, is actually – and he, again, he was a, a, he was a linebacker. He was you know, 6'2", 225, 230 pounds. Um, has good speed, probably about 4'8", 40. And, you know, he's one of those guys that we look at and we go, we think you're a center. And, and that's where we, we, we start guys. So we, we take a look at guys and we go, do they fit our parameters? Where can we put them? Our first people that we look for, we're looking for props in front row. Our second group is we're looking for second row players. And they're the difficult ones to find because they, we'd like to get, find guys that are six, six and, and above. Um, and a lot of those guys end up being tight ends 
and they're pretty valuable, so they get drafted, um, or they wait around to get drafted, or they're offensive linemen. Um, and so you take a sometimes a punt on offensive linemen, but one of the thing, and the reason we take a punt on offensive linemen is because when they're kind of in a box in football, right? They just got to block the guy in front of them or, you know, down the field a bit. And so you don't get to see their true athleticism. But what we find is a lot of these guys are really, really good athletes. They're an offensive guard or a tackle. They're sort of in a box about what they can do. And they come to rugby and all of a sudden their athleticism is ability. They can demonstrate their athleticism. For sure. And, a lot of those guys come in and they, they might be 320 pounds playing football and they come in with us and they, they lose weight and they're down to 290 or one of our guys is 275 uh, and he was 330 pounds and he's looks the, he looks the type. He looks like a rugby player. Well, he is a great player. He plays quite well. Um, so we, we basically kind of going on and on. We basically look through all the, all the college rosters and, and go that way. That's number one. That's our starting point. And we do this for wrestling also. We do it for basketball. So we assign coaches to various sports. Then we we are tied into various combines and pro tryouts. So when we went to the NFL combine, we we know that the NFL combine, we're not you know, we're not any contention for any of those guys, but what it does is gives us an idea of what those very best athletes are like. And then at the NFL combine, they have a compound called the NFC compound. And that's a lower level group of athletes. And almost all of those athletes are division two athletes. And they're guys who have been invited into this combine because um, they, they being the scouts think that they may have a possibility of being, uh, drafted by the NFL or the CFL or, or now the USFL, et cetera. Um, so we attend that one and actually that's where we've gotten most of our athletes from there. Then there's another one that we attend, which is called hub, which is put on by, um, uh, shoot, Tampa Bay quarterbacks scout. Um, and any case that is a really good combine. We haven't gotten it. We've got one player out of there. Um, and it's a great, the athletes there are really good. We get to see a lot of really great things and it's just a matter of us being persistent and keeping after guys. And as you may know, you know, these guys are pursuing their NFL dream, right? Their dream whenever they started playing football or whenever they decided they were pretty decent at it. And, you know, here we come going, hey, if you don't make it, we have an option for you, right? So sometimes it takes a while for those guys to um, determine that football is not going to be their path and they're open to trying something new. I give you an example. Um, two of the guys that we have that are playing for us on a regular basis, one's a scrum half. His name is Nolan Saraceni. He played at the school of Mon or, um, Montana Tech, which is their school of mines. He holds all their rushing records, all their records and so forth. He attended the NSC Combine. And the first year we were there and we didn't really, you know, pick up on him. We went the second year and then we picked up on him and then offered him an opportunity to come here. And that was his second year there. 
trying to make, you know, be seen by NFL talent, if you will. Um, and then uh, a, a second player that um, also was there was a guy named Justin Barlow. He's a six-six lock, defensive end. Same thing. He was there at the at that camp one year one. We didn't really recognize him. We came year two. We recognized him, talked to him. He'd already now he was in his second year trying to do this pro thing, and it was like you know what I'm not going to the pros. And so, you know, he came came to us. So one of the things that we say to players is you have a, you know, you're pursuing your goal. We have this opportunity and we sell our opportunity. You can be a professional athlete. You can train. Our goal is to help athletes achieve the highest goal, which would be to make the U.S. national team. And then we present, you know, there's World Cup opportunities. There's. Olympic opportunities if you're a sevens type of guy. Um, and then there's opportunities to compete for us because we, we want to go overseas or we, our goal is to take you overseas and compete at the best level we can in whatever league type of situation we can get. So, so that's what we're really trying to selling them. We're selling them on their future. So the goal is to get the American Raptors into a, a full-time competition at some point. Yeah, that, that would be the goal. The, the struggle is to find one that's, you know, the, the right model for us. Um, and so we're, you know, we're working forth with that. Um, part of our um, trip to South America was, you know, again, making contacts with the, the people down there who are working to improve their rugby. And, and to be fair, the South, no, I said South Americans, South, South Americans, yeah, the South Americans, part of the, their deal is they're trying to improve their rugby because they've realized that uh, world rugby is not going to help them get better and that they've got to organize it themselves. And I think there's large competitions that way. They, they are basically, those teams are made up of their national team players. Um, they have allowed up to three Argentines on different teams um, to supplement their rugby. And so, uh, you know, based on their results and their national team, in particular Uruguay and Chile, it appears to be working for them. And in this year's Schlar competition, uh, Brazil has improved their play. And so, you know, it, it appears that their professional group that they've got is, is working at least to their benefit from a union standpoint or maybe from a, you know, getting players playing tough level competition week in and week out and then uh those players are you know like to say hardened or more experienced to play on their national team so we've had you know real positive talks with them about what it is we're trying to do and and you know they're like yeah you know can you do something up there in north america and it's like well we're not going to be an mlr because their goals are different you know and good for mlr and there's not nothing wrong with what they're doing it's their goal um, our goal is a little bit different, so we'll, we're going to pursue it and trying to find some some way to have competition on a on a weekly basis that you know prepares the players to be playing to, to be playing where they're playing now. As you already mentioned, a couple of players are playing in you know the MLR and, and getting opportunities to start, and you know that's good for them. And the, and the players that went up there, they went there because they wanted to have that experience. They wanted to see what that was like.
What is, I mean, you know, I, it's an icy relationship, it, it would seem, between you guys and, and, and Major League Rugby. And I gather that there's still, you know, some interest. You get, you hold some of their interest. They hold some of yours. Are you guys still, is there still an ownership? Is the ownership group of Glendale still involved in Major League Rugby? Do any of them still own shares in Major League Rugby? No, they don't. And, and when you say there's an icy relationship between us and MLR, there's not an icy relationship between our rugby department and MLR or between what we do, we communicate with most of the teams. There's some teams that are not interested or haven't expressed much of an interest in what we're doing, but there are a number of teams that are highly interested in what we're doing. In fact, we had a representative from Austin here watching our practice last week. Um, so, you know, it depends on the team. So we when those guys get signed, what is that conversation with you guys? Is that is that something that you're happy to see for them, or are you would you wish they'd stick around? What does that what does it look like for those guys that get signed out of there um, to these major league rugby teams, and how does that affect you? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question. And to be fair, we have mixed emotions about it. One is we we want to be highly competitive um, as a team, and we want to continue the development of the players that we have. So we obviously like to have them here. Now, that being said, we also have to have a, a competition that is worthy of their development. Um, so that's, you know, you have a kind of a two, two-step process in there. Um, they're being signed, and, and here's our conversation with all of our athletes, is if this situation is better for you, if MLR is a better situation for you, then you have to take what is the best situation for you and we'll release you to that. Now, the MLR teams have to, we're a development, so they have to pay us a development fee for that. Right. Uh, No different than, you know, any other professional sport, particularly soccer and so forth. Um, And so if they choose to to go, that's good for them. And and athletes are going for various reasons. Some of the guys feel like, you know, I want to be in the MLR. That's the highest league in the U.S. Some guys go, I want to experience playing next to these guys because they played overseas and they played for this guy or this guy and I can learn something. Um, then it's a matter of what contracts do they take because uh, Major League Rugby have contracts that are standard player contracts and then they have associate player contracts, which is a at-will kind of contract. So they could hire somebody and, and we tell them if they're not going to play for you on a regular basis, then you should release them back to us so they can continue to get game time. Cause the, the whole point is for, in our view, the whole point is for the athlete is to get their experience and so forth. And so again, that's, those are issues that, you know, the, the staff at the MLR team, and the particular athlete, they have to work through what works for them. We do the same, by the way, when we're recruiting these guys. So when they come in, as an example, we have um, we just had two six foot three, two hundred ninety two pound defensive ends come in. That both will be props for us. But we tell them if you come into camp, and they'll come into camp in April. Well, you're in camp if you get invited to a a tryout or pro day for one of your NFL teams, we'll release you to do that because we know that you're pursuing your goal. And that does two things. One, it gives them an opportunity to continue to pursue that if they want to. And with us knowing that they're probably not going to be successful and you can come back here and continue your, 
uh, new venture in rugby. And, you know, for the MLR teams, a lot of our players, it'll go there. They may decide that, you know what, this is an environment they want to be at. They may decide that that's the best environment. The other thing involved with it is, you know, they probably have the opportunity, you know, again, to make more money uh, in MLR because we pay, you know, a very low and minor amount of money to them. Sure. You know, we pay them a livable wage. And, uh, and, and one of the things, like one of our players said, actually, uh, Tawny, who's now playing for Seattle, he was basically goes in one of our meetings, the team, he said, guys, he goes, they're paying us to work out. They're paying us to play a kid's game. What could be better than this? You know, and that's a good point for a lot of these guys who are trying to pursue their professional career. They're paying, you know, guys a bunch of money to train. It's like, come train here and play games and get a second sport and be a true crossover athlete. So you guys, that really covers, I think, soup to nuts, pretty much the, the player recruitment and getting them into the chaff, if you will. And, and you're trying to, you know, funnel this all to the national team. That's the goals and objectives of the organization. Yeah. And um, I wonder if you have developed some opinions or some observations, not just about identifying athletes for the national team, but a way that the national team could find success playing. Because I imagine when you have, granted, you've got some rugby news, you know, some real rugby players sprinkled in there. Like I think JP Aguirre is, is playing with you guys. He played on the Argentine or H grade team and has played major league rugby and played for me a, uh, a little bit um, in college. And, and, and he's a pretty good player. So you have a couple of these guys sprinkled in, but even then you've got so many rugby novices throughout the back line and throughout the, throughout the entire game. Have you developed a style of play that you think America can put, some of our best athletes into a really uh, the best chance to succeed with, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. You, you bring up a really, really good point because it's one of the things that, that we've um, talked a lot about. Um, and a, a lot of it is um, how do you utilize the athletic ability of the athletes that you have? So, it's an interesting thing. This has been my observation, rugby at the higher levels in the U.S. anyhow, is we often get players in and then we're trying to put weight on them, like particularly in the forwards. So we'll be trying to put weight on uh, Nick Johnson when he played number eight, right? And that wasn't his natural weight, you know? And and so that takes away from their, you know, their perhaps natural athletic ability. Our guys, on the other hand, they come in, particularly forwards, virtually all of them lose weight because they, of course, put on weight for their football programs. And and you mentioned Casey Vaughn. I mean, he, he was massive when he was playing in college. And, you know, he lost a lot of weight. And that's true for a lot of our guys. And so what happens is their athletic ability is now able to, to be expressed by them. And we have big men who can run fast and can cut and they have sidesteps and so forth. So the question is, how do you utilize your plan of attack or your game plan, if you will, to utilize those skills? So one of the things, again, we think that, you know, one of the keys is if you can teach your players uh, quality defense, and good defensive structures. Most all of our guys tackle really well. And I don't mean they just tackle, 
they tackle well. They tend to drive people backwards. Um, and they, they like the physicality. And part of that is we get a lot of defensive type players. So you've got that already kind of mindset into them. So then you have to develop the mindset from a defensive standpoint that this, the continuous nature of the game. So it's up, reform, up, reform. So in our mind is, number one, you utilize what you, your athletic ability and your tackling and so forth to have a really strong defense. So you want to become defensive, defensively proficient. And then, you know, in our mind, is if you can, again, this is traditional rugby, if you will, if you can keep the ball down in their end of the field and then attack, then you have the ability to utilize the uh, way that you attack. So it might not be, you know, three forwards around the corner smashing it up. Um, you know, it'll be a layered attack like a lot of the teams, you know, professionally are doing. And so we look at how can we get the ball into space, into anybody's hands. So as many teams try to play 15-man rugby, which, you know, is something that I learned when I first started coaching, um, is how do you develop the skill set for the players to be able to pass, catch, run, and make good decisions? Um, and then how do you get the ball in their hands so they can do that? And so, you know, like many teams, we try not to be, well, we're just forwards and we're just backs. So we try to play a more, you know, expansive game. Now with us, it starts off a lot tighter because we have guys that are inexperienced. But what we have found, this is interesting, Pat, what we found is our first year with the group, because we had nobody who knew how to play rugby, we were very, very basic. And it took us a while to, to learn our skills. But the second season we started, we, had, we had now have a whole crew of guys who played rugby. And what we find is the brand new rookie guys, they advance a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. And so we can move into a more expansive type of program. So we work in last year, and I think this year even more so with Paul here. Um, we're working on developing that ability to to move all the players out into space, so that backs are uh, can be forwards and, and forwards can be backs. And interestingly enough, we had a South African watch us, and he's his comment was, "Your props." are run like centers, but they're bigger than the centers. Right. And that's not a necessarily an untrue statement. Um, they're not as fast as the backs because we want all our backs to be 4.8 and lower in speed. Um, but our props are running 5.0, 5, 5 5.1. They still are running pretty fast for big, big people. 100%. So I think that's that's where we're where we're moving. I mean, you look at Paul Asike, he looks like a prop. He doesn't uh -huh. he doesn't look like a center, right? Um but That's right. But he exactly. moves like one. So Yeah. And that's yeah. the the physical makeup of the guys that you're pulling in. Um, yeah. Well, well we have a, a kid that came in, Adagio Lopetti, played football at Kansas, and he you know, and, and we got him because he was a friend of another one of our players. He played football at Central, played at San Mateo Community College and played at uh, Eastern Michigan. 
And he he just happened to show up, right? He's with his friend. He goes, oh, you're doing rugby? I'll come out. And he, I mean, he's 330 pounds the day he came out here. He did a, he, he did a beep test. He goes, I'll do a beep test. Or not beep test, but a bronco. He did a bronco test. And then we're like, wow. And, you know, not that he did a great job, but he ran the whole thing, right? That tells you something about his mentality. And then we watched him do some drills and we're like, yep, you can play with us. And he's, he's the potential. I mean, he's big and he'll lose weight, but he moves so well. And when he's on defense, you watch him on defense. He doesn't, he's not in the defensive line. He hunts. He looks like an orca whale hunting some, something. That's awesome. And, you know, those are the kind of athletes that we have. And he, he's potentially right now we're playing at lock as he's six, five, but he's a potential number eight because he's, he's massive. He's really quick. It's exciting. It's exciting what you're doing there, Mark, and it's exciting to see it get results in Uruguay. Is there uh, what's the next big game? I mean, when can we catch the Raptors and see the product on the field next? And how do we well, watch we, them? We actually um, we've played two matches already, and we um, we go down to play the Giltini's Academy uh, April 10th, um, and then have Seattle. Then in May, we have Carfu. Like probably our big, you know, and, and every game for me is a test. But then we go up to Canada and play Canada West in Victoria um, because we've talked to Canada West and Canada East about, you know, forming some kind of a competition. That's great. And and then we we finish off in the end in June, early June. We play. There'll be. Um, two South American teams coming up to play. And we've been told by Slar that it's likely to be the um, Argentine Jaguars will be one of those teams. And the other quite possibly would be um, Penarol, which is the Uruguayan Slar representative. That would be awesome. So those are, those are the games we're really shooting for at the, in June. And Infinity to, Park. Um, you know, put ourselves, again, it's testing ourselves against, you know, in effect, Uruguay's, you know, nat, shadow national team, if you will. Don't know if that's exactly the right way to put it, but, yeah, you know, a lot of their players come off of the Pinaral team. Same with Chile. Chile could be one of the teams coming up. Um, you know, and a lot of their national team players play for that SLAR team. So that's... We don't know which exact teams would be coming up. We've been told uh, it would be out of those three teams. Um, the Jaguars, the Uruguay representative, Pinaral, and the Chilean team, which I don't have their name in my head. but Sure. Well, that's awesome, Mark. It's very exciting. You could catch that stuff at Infinity Park this June, and um, I'll keep watching, and, and, and I look forward to maybe you guys, uh, you know, th- those two games will be big markers for sure, and every time yeah. I see one of your guys sign into Major League Rugby, it gives me a grin, and it's, you know, being around this game as long as I have, um, it, you know, it just, everyone I've talked to has <coughs> dreamt of how do we systematically recruit and develop and then find a way to expose um 
and get experience to you know our best athletes and how do we get them out of out of uh, out of those games systematically because we've all seen it if you've been around grassroots long enough in a club or mm-hmm. a college you've seen it happen organically and you've seen yep. you catch lightning in a bottle and so we've all wondered how do you do it and it's great to see you guys actually putting it into action yeah yeah i i would say this it's in this is interesting when we see usa rugby's um they have a rep like at the um combine that we go to in indianapolis and the and, and they're looking he's looking specifically mostly for guys for sevens um but the difference is is and this is also part of the um uh tolkien's uh sevens program that the difference is we can get guys to go hey richie walker and mike tolkien here's some guys that we think that could fit into your program the challenge is is we actually have a program where we can upskill them and that's the advantage we have is we have a systematic you know practice i mean we're fully professional trying to upskill them and what happens with the other guys is they don't get that they're just like you said they go to tuesday and thursday practice and they don't you know they don't upskill as quickly in terms of their rugby uh skills and knowledge and i think that's the advantage we have and um, you know, if MLR teams have the finances to be able to do that, you know, they could also do the same thing we're doing. But it's a, it's a lot of work. There's definitely a lot of work, and uh, maybe redirecting some visa fees would be a, a good start. Um, but yeah. look, Mark, I appreciate your time. It's been fantastic as always, and uh, we'll keep watching what you're doing with the American Raptors and uh, keep cheering you on. I appreciate it, man. All right, and anytime you want to come out and see what we're doing, come on out. You got it. 